He is three years into his Elite Series career and never been out of the top 20 in Angler of the Year. And two of those years, he was in the top 10. This week, we got Drew Cook on... I'm Bob Cobb from the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Happy Wednesday, all, and welcome back to another edition of the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast that goes by my last name, which is Mercer. And let's just jump into this week's show because it is a good one. I mean, this dude's only been on the Elite Series three years, but you want to talk about a horse that you want to back. Three years on the Elite Series and only been out of the top 10 once an angler of the year race. And that year, he was 18th. So he's never been out of the top 20. Um, an amazing competitor. And uh, he's had that crazy competitive drive since day number one. And we get to get inside his bean here today. The one and only Drew Cook. I'll let you get all balanced. You feeling balanced? Yeah, I was trying to get it up a little bit higher. I had to put it on a spool line. Do, do you want to go get a, another tackle box or something before we get started? Or should we? Or should we I mean, that's this is but this is a pretty Drew Drew Cook starting right here. Um, what are you doing? I mean, last time I saw you, you weren't a father. You've you've accomplished a lot since we last hung out. Yeah, there's been all kinds. Of, I've had when it rains, it pours here. I uh, had a brand new baby. Had my shot and got a new truck all the same day. My shot was put up. We had our little baby boy, and my truck was delivered. It was like, I, you know, we just got to do it all at one time. But, you know, the baby's doing good. Mama's doing good. And it's uh, it's been fun having him around. He's been, you know, he's still little, so I can – I took him deer hunting on Sunday for his first time. Yeah. He spends a lot of time out here in the shop with me and his little bassinet, so – It'll be fun. It's pretty cool time. Did you, fatherhood, did it shock you? I mean, because it did me. I'll be honest. You know, when we, you know, you go to the meetings and you go to the appointments and you hear the heartbeat and that is a magical moment and everything. But it didn't seem real for me until like the baby arrived. And it was honestly one of the greatest natural highs I ever experienced in my life. And I've experienced a lot. Trust me. (laughs) Uh, Uh, yeah you hear it you hear it all the time about how it it, it changes your life and you're yeah okay I get it um but it really does um you know just how magical all that is how amazing it all is that uh you know what how all that comes about and you know it was it it was very very surprising and the poor little fella he looks just like me (laughs) he's got my butt chin and everything so (laughs) hopefully he acts like his mama but uh (laughs) It was, it was, it was a very amazing, amazing deal. And the, as soon as it happens, you start thinking about everything so different. Like I got to get life insurance and, you know, 401k, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And it makes you, uh, makes you have a different outlook on everything. Has, do you think as a term, I mean, you, you, the truth won't be told until you go through a season, but, but, your feeling, your feeling now. Do you think that that will motivate you more to succeed yeah. in tournaments, or will you just be baby daddy who just wants to get home? No, I, de- I definitely think that, uh, and I'm the kind of guy. I mean, I do it already. I put so much stress 
on myself and so much pressure on myself to do good. I think now it'll just be even more because I would really love to, you know, have a, a really good year and let it be able to have Jen, you know, travel with me for a little, a couple, you know, while he's still small, yeah. um, you know, until he's probably four or five and then, you know, send him to school and let him have some social skills, but it would be, it would be nice. And I think it, I think it, it definitely will change, change how it, how it all happens, but I think it'll be for the better, not the worse. You say that he's a lot like you. So I'm, uh, I'm one of your great traits that, you know, I make fun of all the time is you get really grumpy when you don't catch him. So let's say you're maybe like a few minutes late to change. Does he have that same anger? Oh yeah. Especially when, whenever it, whenever it comes to the milk, he, uh, he gets fired up uh, yeah. and you know, it's all good once, once he gets it, but you know, until he gets it, he's, he's pissed. <laughs> Talk to me about that, because as an angler, I think that's it's weird. And it's like you realize things as time moves along. But but as you have kids and you're told, don't tell them to be bad losers, you know, go shake the person's hand. You, you can't win them all. You teach them all these things. But uh, and I've said on this podcast before, but when I hang out with super successful people, people like yourself that made it to the elite series, you guys hate losing. It's almost like, is it a wrong trait to tell your kid not to hate losing? Because hate losing is, I assume, one of the things that drives you. Yeah, uh, but and that also has a lot to do with how much passion all of us have. If you are at the Elite Series and you are not pissed every time you don't win, I don't think you should be there, honestly. Um, you know, that's the that's the whole deal. That's the whole point. And it's so hard to win one of those tournaments. I've been so close so many times, but for it all to actually happen is it's very rare and I will cherish it if it ever does happen. Um, but it does, man, it makes me so mad. And especially my, my trend over my elite series career of really you know, kicking myself in the teeth on the first day and, you know, digging a huge hole and then, you know, having a, a top, you know, 15 or top 20 finish, but I caught eight pounds the first day or, you know, had a terrible first day, you know, what could have been, I mean, the amount of top 10s I could have made if I just caught a decent limit the first day of every tournament would be crazy, but, you know, nothing's ever the same from practice. And I think a lot of that has to do with, with practicing, you know, I, I'm the type of guy that I don't ever stay long anywhere practicing. Um, you know, if it looks good and I get a bite or so, I'm I'm gone. You know, and that first day, I check everything out, everything I found in practice. And, you know, it always seems like at the end of the day, on the first day, I, you know, find a little something or get a little clue. And then, you know, the rest of the tournament, it, uh, it progressively gets better. Do you – think that's something you could, you know, because we, we kind of joke about it. I mean, there's a lot of people who start hot and taper off. They will switch with you in a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but is that, why does that happen to you? Is it, is that, do you think that's something you've got to figure out in the, the process or whatever? You know what I mean? Because it seems like you maybe go into a tournament, not totally knowing what you're on um, more than the average angler. Would you, is that a true statement? That, that is exactly what, what, how it happens. And I think it could be learned to do that, but I think, 
you would have to spend more time in areas in practice and that would hurt you yeah. a few times. Cause there's a couple of tournaments where like literally the last 30 minutes of practice, I found the deal that I caught everything in the tournament on and you know, had I spent more time somewhere else, then I probably wouldn't have found that out. Or, you know, and especially the people that, that put their boats on the trailer before it's dark, is just, it blows my mind. And you would think, man, they must be really on them, but they ain't on them. I don't understand. There's nobody that's going to practice more than me. You know, there's, I'm going to be there as soon as I can, and I'm going to stay there as long as I can because it, there's nobody should have a competitive advantage over me when it comes to things like that. You know, anything that I can do um, – but I think I could – I am trying to learn. I fished the Opens last year for that reason. I practiced completely different, and I fished the Opens completely different. Um, How? And I'm going to do that as, again. Uh, I practiced I, – I spent hardly any time fishing in practice. Okay. I uh, spent more time really just looking. And, you know, if it looked good, then I would hit it in the tournament. And in the tournament – it was not about points. I didn't care about any of that, and I and I fished like that, and that's why I, I mean I really did bad in in all the opens that I fished last year. But it was nice for me to be able to fish like that, you know, not to be worried about the points and the the AOI. Uh, and I I think that if I did that and I win an open, then I would know or, or you know have more confidence that I can win, and you know it would it would help. I mean, you look at Patrick, but Patrick's really not a great example because he's won at every step. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, he won an open on Hartwell. Two weeks later, he wins an Elite Series. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I'm going to do it again this year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice a little bit different uh, than I did last year. And sooner or later, I'm going to figure it out, you know, find the, the happy medium and to hopefully not have those bad first days. So do you look at those opens as almost throwaways, you know, almost a practice in a sense, this, this is an opportunity for me to fish a tournament a different way than maybe I would have. And mm -hmm. it's not going to hurt me because on the mm -hmm. elite series, that's what I feel when I hang with you guys. That's the feeling like the classics, the only event you get to fish for the most part where you're actually free and fishing. Everything else is pressure of having one bad day, which you can't have yep. on the elite series. That's exactly uh, how I kind of look at it. And, you know, and in another sense, I, I, I fish those to, and I'm not saying that I don't fish every tournament to win. Of course. I, yeah. I do fish every tournament to win, but like the opens more so, like I will just go throw something that I got two bites on in practice or something like that, that there were big ones. Just go throw it all day. I might catch three fish or I might catch five. And if I catch five all three days, then I win. I catch three and then two, then, you know, I got a 60th place finish and I just drive down the road. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, it helps you. It'll help me learn to notice things better in practice of what is feasible and what's not feasible. Whenever it comes to something like that, like I'm, I can't do the Steve Kennedy deal where I got one bite on the swim bait and, you know, I found, or, you know, you find one magic tree and you just throw a swim bait all day until they get, you know, to bite. And I, I can't do that, you know, but if I can learn to, you know, through the opens to, to do some things like that, then it would, it would help. me. How much time do you put in when the season ends and let's just say elite series season? Cause I know opens go a little later and that sort of thing, but when the season ends, do you, 
what is your process? Do you do, I mean, do you go through the season and kind of assess where you were strong, where you were weak, where you need to get better moving forward? Or is it best just to that event's done yeah. and move on? Yeah, those are gone. Uh, you get one day after a tournament, uh, whether it's good or bad, and it's it's over with. Um, you know, obviously, whenever you're talking with some people that, you know, those days get brought up, but you don't dwell on anything, good or bad, because, you know, if you're, you're still high on your horse, you'll get your teeth kicked in at the next one. And if you're still, you know, pissed off, then, you know, you're, you're not going to fish how you should fish. In my opinion, I don't know. Some people might dwell on it all year and it might help them, but it, it hasn't really, really helped me. So I don't do it. So what I would assume, I mean, you've been on the elite series, what this year, end of your third year, correct? Yeah. Next year, be my fourth year. Uh, where would you assume uh, where you were day one in the elite series, where you are today, are you a mu much better angler than you, than you were at the start of this? Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I'm a much different angler than I was. I know that for 100% fact. Um, I have, I'm not, uh, I guess I, I have adapted to obviously the technology that, that we've had the past two years or three years. Um, but the way that, that I fish and how I fish is, is a lot different than, than it used to be. And me and you had this conversation at Champlain uh, old me, we were largemouth fishing until it was done, you know, yeah. screw the small mouth. Well, you can't do that on the elite series. You have to learn how to do that. And if you don't do it in the tournaments while you're there now, you're not going to learn how to do it. And, you know, you're even further behind the eight ball moving forward. I had, I had caught like a handful of small mouth before I fished the elite series. <laughs> and I, it was one tournament on Champlain in the opens the year I qualified and that was it. So I, I, I knew nothing before we went up there. Do you think it's harder for a Southern guy to learn the North or a Northern guy to learn the South? Or is That's it totally the question. same? That's a tough question. Um, I think if you're from the South and you go up North and you're, you keep it simple and you know, you're almost stupid like me, when it comes to the smallmouth, I feel like that's a lot easier um, because they're, I mean, you can, you can take a, a Ned rig, a spy bait, a jerk bait, and a drop shot, and everywhere that smallmouth live, you can catch smallmouth bass. And yeah. if you just keep it simple, then, you know, you won't have all these issues. But, you know, coming from the north to the south, uh, I think that the fish – the fish up there are obviously a lot different, but I, I would think the only only time that it would ever be harder coming from the north to the south would be like Florida, um, you know, cold fronts and just having to fish so slow and, you know, just milk areas, really. That would be the only, only difference I would see. What do you think your biggest single characteristic <laughs> that, that you possess and it's part of you, not a learned thing, but it's just a characteristic in you, what is a single characteristic that you can pick out in you that's that that makes you a good elite series pro? I mean, I, I mean, I, I can't really think of anything that is you know one hundred percent you know just me, but 
I don't, I don't mean, I mean just you. I mean, for you, you, when you, when it comes to this, I feel I can hold my own with anybody type thing. And I'm not talking technique wise. I'm talking whether it be mental, whether it be, you know, anything, you know, basically your, your outlook on tournament fishing, what characteristic is embedded in you that you think gives you an advantage over some competitors on the elite series. Um, well, you know, coming into this whole deal, I never looked at it as me fishing against Seth Fighter, yeah. Drew Benton, um, you know, the Rick Clun, all those people. It was Bass and me, you know, and that was all all it ever was. And it really doesn't it really doesn't matter what all those guys do. You know, anybody else that's fishing the tournament, it, who cares? You know, it's just you need to get the fish to cooperate. And if you do that every time and you're not worried about overgoing oh, to a smallmouth tournament on the St. Lawrence River, that well, hell, the Johnsons won it already. So, let me you – know, you can't do that. You can't – not at this level. And it does nothing for you except take your mind off of what your mind needs to be on. I would think that's probably – the the thing that's really helped me, you know, making that step from the the weekend warrior to the the professional side, and it's the same way. Whenever I was fishing pot tournaments down here, I didn't care if the local hammer showed up. You know, it he still got to catch the same fish I've got to catch. You know, yeah. if I find five stupider ones than he does, then there we go. But there must have been. When you were making, I mean, when did this dream start for you? How old were you when you said, hey, man, I want to I wanna be a Bassmaster Pro? I was five years old. Wow. Really? Yep. Five? Ken Cook won the Bassmaster Classic on TV, and I watched it. And I was like, my God, these people can make money bass fishing. <laughs> like, I'm in. Let's do it. Uh, and from then on, it was, I had, there was no backup plan. This was, it was all or nothing. We were going to do it or we were going to sell everything we had. <laughs> what is that pressure, you know, to, to feel that way? I mean, you, like, I think I've read in the past where you gave it one year, you weren't like doing the yeah. opens for 10 years. You were like, if mm -hmm. I make it in one year, I mean, that's, do you, in retrospect, do you look back and be like, wow, it's amazing that, that we did that in one year. When you look at the guys that try to come and qualify year after year. Yeah, I absolutely. Did. I'm, I was very fortunate with that. And I said, I was going to give it one year. And if I qualify or if I didn't qualify, but I made enough money, you know, to, to fish the next year, I would fish the next year too. Um, but was fortunate enough to have, you know, that was one the year we had two divisions and I had, you know, two really good, divisions and you know we qualified and you know i i can't you know if you said 15 years ago well, i'm i'm gonna qualify my first year no i mean you can't yeah. you know you can't say that but i i honestly didn't really have a choice you know it was it was do or die really and you know i fished the nation you know all through you know the my college and and even up until I made the Elite Series, I was still fishing the nation. And that is a, a lot harder way to get to the Classic, but it still is a way. And yeah. that was, you know, that was all that mattered. It, whether it was the college bracket, whether it was the nation, whether it was an open, whether it was the Elite Series, I didn't care. I was going to the Bassmaster Classic. 
And I was never going to go to the Bassmaster Classic until I was fishing in one. And I didn't, except for 2019, my first year on the Elite Series, I had to go work the Classic Expo and it sucked. But like I, I'd said that for so many years, like yeah. it had been close. And I'm like, I ain't going, not until I'm fishing it. And then to have to do it, you know, because of sponsors, you know, I, I get it, but it would have been nice to, have, you know, been able to say, you know, I never went to the classic until I fished it. But being there in the expo or watching it is nothing like being there and being in the classic. It yeah. is, uh, it's something that I don't ever, I don't ever want to miss until I retire. What was that one in 19 like, though? Because I always think about that. It must have been so bizarre for people like yourself and and a myriad of names that came along that joined the Elite Series in 19. And then because the way the Classic falls, you guys were, you know, a few events into your season. I mean, you're the new Bassmaster Elite Series pros. And then you got to sit and watch the guys from the season before. But But I don't even mean to focus on them. I just mean that it must have been really weird to be like, hey, guys, so for the foreseeable future, that's going to be our role. You yeah. know what I mean? I must have, that must have been a huge motivator. And, and you know, being there was uh, – it was, it was really weird because that was the first time I had met a lot of these pros. Yeah. Um, so, like, whenever I get to the AFCO booth – uh, at the classic, well, I, nobody knows who the hell Drew Cook is. You know, we're we're two events in, and ain't nobody got a clue. But you know, I, I meet all these people, and you know, now I have you know relationships with these other anglers. That I mean, I'm not gonna say that they turn their nose up to me whenever whenever I met them, but you know, they were like, hey, you know, you probably won't be here very long. You know, new guy on the block, never heard of you before. But, and then watching that, that whole classic was, it, I mean, going down in downtown Knoxville, I really wish we would have another classic there because oh, yeah. that blast off was unbelievable. And that, uh, you know, the whole being so close to the way in arena and awesome. the expo being connected to it, it was a great venue. Um, but you know, I still wasn't fishing in it, so it wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, i've just always thought it might it must be it must have been a weird feeling you know what i mean it's the only time in history of the sport that there you had a massive group of people there's other people who are like hey maybe next year i'll be there but but for you guys it was a lot more realistic and it must have yeah. just been a weird thing speaking of weird things you room with drew benton and uh david mullins um does david mullins have a special television channel that only plays shows from the 1970s because every time i see him watching tv it's andy, andy griffith, griffith or gun smoke or something <laughs> yeah. that i'd heard of in previous generations yes yeah uh, that, that is i i don't know how he finds the channel everywhere we go but he always <laughs> does and uh you know we can't watch what we want to watch because you know he's people he obviously got seniority over all of us um <laughs> But going back to that classic real quick, the, the, the aha moment from that classic, I was walking out of that arena and I had taken my jersey off. I had a backpack on and a T-shirt yeah. that said, you know, Tackle Warehouse or something like yeah. that on there. 
And a little kid walked up to me and goes, hey, you're Drew Cook, right? Can I have your autograph? And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Somebody, this kid knows who I am and wants my autograph. And that was like the first time that I signed an autograph for somebody that wanted my autograph, not standing in one of those lines at the classic yeah. and everybody signing the same hats, whatever. And that was, that was like an awesome moment for me. Cause like, it was, you know, I've made it here and yeah, somebody knows who I am. So that was cool. But yes, Mullins does. He watches, we watch Andy Griffith, uh, gun smoke. We watch any Western, um, sometimes Spanish Westerns, you know, Spanish Westerns. Yeah. He likes those. Well, they only play those in Spanish in some places. <laughs> you know, they only, oh, okay. Those channels only come in Spanish. So. Okay. But he knows all the words, and he says them about a second before they say them. So the whole time, <laughs> all you hear is Mullins and then like an echo. Mullins may be one of the funniest dudes that only a select few ever get to see the, the magic Mullins come out. Like, he really... He's one of those dudes that I just wish a little bit of that would get on camera one day because yeah. he really is one of the most entertaining people to hang out with. Oh, he is. And, you know, he's probably one of the nicest people, um, you know, that that I've met traveling. He, uh, you know, he'll do anything for you. He'll always, you know, he'll give you the shirt off his back. If he could always checks on you. Um, but he, he is. He's hilarious. But nobody knows that. But yeah. he used to. He also used to room with Gerald Swindle until Gerald Swindle kicked him off his couch. That could be where well, it came from. Gerald Swindle threw him off the couch? I think Lulu threw him off the couch. He had to leave. I, I'm going to have to ask him that story next <laughs> time he's on. I did not know that he got thrown off the couch. Um, do you guys work together? You guys room together? Do, do, do the three of you guys work together? We do. Um, you know, whenever I came in in 2019... Uh, it's hard. Let me, let me go back. It is hard to work with somebody. Uh, if you don't trust them, if you can't trust them, you, it, it's very hard to, yeah. to share information with them and things like that. So when I came in in 2019, um, you know, me and Benton grew up together. So we've known each other for a long time and we had, you know, been working with each other before fishing the opens and things. So me and him, you know, we never skipped a beat. But it took Mullins, uh, you know, a couple of events for before he, you know, would ever really share information. And now, you know, it is it's amazing how different it is working with, you know, three people breaking down a lake. Uh, how when you can trust somebody when you yeah. can't trust somebody, you know, you're not going to get the truth. And, you know, you still have to go back and check things. But. The way we do it, whenever we get somewhere, we divide and conquer, and um, and it and it works out. And it's not like you know, we. I mean, me and Benton, we share every waypoint that we have, every tournament, wow. whether it be bed bed fishing tournaments or, or anything. And it's not like you know, I found a really good spot. Benton's gonna come fish my, yeah. you know, start my stuff. No, he he's got more confidence in the stuff that he found than the stuff that I found, but at lunch, whenever he's got two, he can run down here and hit some of my stuff and, and you know, figure it out. And a lot of times, you know, we, we, we kind of find the same deal or, you know, get on the same, uh, 
pattern mm-hmm. and it happens. So a lot of times it happens about the same time <laughs> and I'll call him and I'll be like, Hey, you know, pick up a, a whatever and throw it. And say, I do. I know I just picked it up. and I've had four bites and it's wow. crazy how that happens. Uh, you know, and we're, we're not anywhere near each other, but you know, it's just, we just kind of think the same and, you know, we grew up in the same, same area. So we, we kind of fish the same, but Mullins is our deep water guy. He's our deep water and cranking specialist. If they're ever biting a crankbait, He's Mullins will tell you. At Cayuga, my, uh, my rookie year, I had like five or six fish that were like fry garters or, you know, that were just on some docks and stuff that I might be able to catch. And that was it. I couldn't hardly get a bite. I flipped for, you know, two days. And we were sitting in the parking lot. And Mullins picked up a crankbait and said, I'd probably throw this. <laughs> and the next day, I went out there and I picked up a crankbait. And that was how I caught every one of my fish in the tournament. And, you know, he made a top ten. I made a top ten. Um, and that was, you know, he, he saved my butt for sure. And then go back to 2020. There was a lot of times where Mullins wasn't on crap. Me and me and Benton throw him a bone, and he. But whenever we threw him a bone, he would take it all the way to a top ten every time. <laughs> and it was like, you know, wow. It was it was just crazy how it worked out, and we all almost got him an AOI, but you know, it's one point short. So, do you think he? You guys are just throwing meteor bones, or he just knows how to get the meat off the bone better. I, I don't know. I don't know. It uh, it could be both. What per, what percentage of of anglers on the elite series do you think work with another angler? Because to me, it feels like it's increasing. I do. More. I do feel. I, I do feel that. Uh, there's definitely uh, you know, more of that going on than there used to be. Uh, but I still, I truthfully working with somebody. Like 100% transparent, I bet you 10%. Yeah. I'd say but working 100%. with somebody, I, I probably 50% of the elite series is, you know, working with somebody. Whether it – and not and working with somebody more than, uh, you know, sitting there and be like, hey, I got a bite on a chatterbait today. Yeah. You know, more than that. But I, there's not very many of them that have 100% trust with each other. Yeah, uh, and that that's where the real magic comes out. I mean, the Johnstons are obviously one of the big teams that people talk about, but, I mean, that's the big advantage they have. I mean, that's your brother. <laughs> yeah. If your brother lies to you, you got worse problems in your life than And that's how, how we, me and Benton did it, you know, going into this. This is a business. You know, we, yeah. this, is, we ha- this is our livelihood. We still have to make money, and that's how we look at everything. And, uh, it, it, yeah, it could be harder to – uh, maybe win tournaments uh, or to ever have something, you know, by yourself, like a Patrick yeah. Walters at Lake Fork, you know, that's, that's obviously never going to happen, but in the long run, I feel like, you know, it, it, it would be better. You know, you're, you're going to consistently be, you know, up there in the AOI, you're going to make the classic, you're going to make, you know, checks and, and make money, get more sponsors, everything. Yeah, works works out good. 
I, I just announced he's coming back to the Elite Series. Did you hear that? I saw that. What, 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 do you, what do you think of that? Not just specifically Ike, but, but a younger angler like yourself. When you see all the names, like year after year, you know, obviously Polnick and Swindle were the first, Hackney and Christie, you know, and, and now Porosnik's coming back, Ike and Ellie's coming back. Um, is that, yeah, good. I've been waiting to compete against these yeah, guys. That's, ex- or, that's exactly what it is. Good. There was, there was, that was probably the biggest letdown that, that I ever, that I had whenever I made the elite series, all the people that, you know, that I wanted to, to beat, you know, I I wanted to, I wanted to beat Kevin Van Dam. I wanted to to beat Gerald Swindle and, you know, Christy, I I wanted to catch him on a spinnerbait better than Christy. I don't know that'll ever happen, but damn, I wanted to do it. And I didn't have that opportunity that first year. And it was kind of like a letdown almost. But, you know, now they're coming back. I love it. You know, is that, I mean, that's how it should be. We should have the best of the best. And this should be, you know, the cream of the crop. Oh, it gets better and better every year. And it, it I mean, it almost feels like to me because it's the same history. Like it's all like the elite series built up before. I remember, you know, when I first started the elite series, people were like, we're pretty close to having the everyone. And more would all enter, and then and then it got so strong. I think it honestly, the elite series became part of its own worst enemy because yeah. if you look at those last few years, I mean, just look at the names and tell me who's not going to make a check, not who is, who's not going to make a check, and you go through it and you're like, wow, like it it just it almost became too hard on itself. But but that's how it's always going to evolve. I imagine it's just going to keep getting harder and harder. You know, again, that's competition, I imagine. Yeah, and a lot of the egos have probably had something to do with it there. But, you know, I think a lot of those people are maybe going to check those at the door this time. (laughs) All right, who was your favorite pro growing up? Growing up, uh, Greg Hackney and Kevin Van Dam. I actually wrote my term paper in high school on Kevin Van Dam from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Really? Yep. And I gave it to Kevin Van Dam when he uh, they opened up a, um, a you know a boat and tackle shop yeah. here in Tallahassee, and I actually skipped school and he was there you know skipped school and and went there to meet him. I got a picture with him, got a signed you know Series Five Sexy Shad uh, crankbait, and I gave him my term paper. Why didn't you choose to write it on Greg Hackney? And do you think that'll hurt your relationship now that you compete against him? Hard to find things out about Greg Hackney. <laughs> true. <laughs> it really is true. You're right. <laughs> he uh he he builds he builds a wall around himself. There's only, he did. The genius though, the, the guy who can get stuff about anyone that amazes me is Zona, though. Like he can make people say things and do things <laughs> that I they agree. would do. I mean, you know, you're a prime example. Um it's amazing. His ability to to get that out of people. I mean, I don't think so. And, and he will also put you in a very awkward situation. <laughs> he likes awkward. He likes. He awkward. loves awkward. He feeds off of awkward. <laughs> the first time I ever had a camera in my boat with me, besides like a couple of college tournaments, is whenever we did the Zona show. Whenever he came down for a week, yeah. we did two Zona lives in a Zona show, and he's just as crazy as. As you you see him on TV, what you see is exactly how he is. And oh, hundred percent. Where he comes up with some of the names he calls things is uh, <laughs> a great question. 
Well, it's uh, it's uh, he's he's an incredible talent. I mean, he really is. I don't think Zona gets enough credit because people take a guy like that that makes jokes and whatever, and kind of it's real easy just to be, you know, oh, he's a joker or whatever. But I mean, Zona is is um, I say it all the time. I mean, you look at Tommy and Zona together; they are they could host Monday Night Football if you ask me. Um, oh yeah, that's how how talented uh, they both are, and uh, it, it's a cool crew to work with. But Zona is definitely. Definitely uh, a little bit loose in the brain, but it's amazing what he gets out of you guys. Did 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 winning that tournament with him? You got that belt and whatever, and it was just a fun tournament. But did that help build your confidence? That not just, and I don't mean fishing wise, but you spent a lot of time on camera that week before the Elite Series started. It, that that definitely helped. All of that helped. I, I mean, like I said, you you don't ever really realize how big those camera bags are and how much crap that they put in your boat and you know how to land a fish around you know because they're trying to get the shot dude yeah like that they don't care they're you know they're there to video it you know and you know they want to get as close as they can you know learning how all that that goes down is is and i had davy and zona there and that's right you know they they helped me you know with being on camera yeah. you know i've and and it still took me, and I'm still working on it, you know, obviously. But, you know, going from, like, say, the first time I was ever on live at Lake Lanier, our second yeah. tournament, to, to the last time I was on live, you know, I'm sure there's a night and day difference, you know, of just being able to talk. And and Zona, Zona and Davey both told me, they said, the biggest piece of advice I can give you when you're on camera is whatever happens, explain it. Yeah. You break one off, explain it. You catch a big one, explain it. And that's, you know, it'll always get played. Why is fishing different like that, though? Do you ever stop to think? Because I do think about that. I'm like, you know, if a golfer misses a putt or if a, a fighter loses a fight, you know what I mean? You don't generally hear from that person right away. You're not in a situation where you have to document it yourself really you know what i mean like yeah. i mean if you're watching a baseball game they don't ask the game, the player questions while he's competing um but fishing's so different that way does that you know do you ever think about that and be like wow i wish we could not talk as much or is that just accepting that that's that's part of the sport i mean it, it, i think a lot of times whenever people explain why they while you know why they lost one or why they broke one off or whatever is to reassure themselves that you know something happened out of their control yeah. and and that's you know i i analyze everything that happens like that like if i lose a fish because of whether it be like a knot failure or my line broke or whatever there there's a reason why that happened and and i'm going to find out because if I don't, then I'm going to either be scared to set the hook the next time you know, and lose one because I didn't set the hook or, you know, I'll break another one off. And then, you know, you lose money like that. Like the Champlain event, y'all y'all only got to see a little snippet from day three of Champlain. But, I mean, I lost three giants, you know, three bigger than any of them that I weighed in all week. And it was just like a, a domino effect until I was able to figure out what it was. Had I caught those, you know, it'd be a different story, but everybody's got those. And that happens to 
everybody at every tournament, you know, if, ands, and buts, you know, if I'd have caught this one, I mean, you could call Mullins up right now and go, where'd you lose AOI? And he could tell you a fish. Uh-huh. Probably five or six of them. You yeah. Know? And that is one thing, you know, with the point system and all that, it, it, it does come down to one fish. If you, if you are more efficient on your landing percentages, then you're obviously going to be better than most. Is that one of the most shocking things when you compete on the Elite Series? Because I hear that routinely from people. And I, I believe in your first season. I think I heard it from you when it happened. Um, people get shocked that, like, how little has to go bad for that title to go away or that classic to go away. It literally, I mean, you get to the top end of that. It literally is one bike going the wrong way. You can't have a bad day on the elite series. And I don't think from the outside, I don't think fans of the sport. And I don't think people who really follow sport and even other tournament anglers realize just how important it is that you don't slip an inch. Was that one of the shocking things for you? Absolutely. 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 And my rookie year with four days of fishing left, I had a 22 point lead in AOI. Like here I was, I was a, a rookie and, you know, have the opportunity to, to win AOI and got a really good shot. Not just a shot. I've got a really good shot at winning and dude, one day and everything fell apart. And it, it's just crazy how, how it can happen so fast and, you know, so little could, could happen. You know, I could yeah. only drop so far, but it was like, like that one bad day, one bad decision, you know, it all came around full circle and, you know, I obviously didn't win AOI, but whenever you think about things like that, and I can try to explain this to somebody that doesn't do this yeah. And they would they would say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they have no idea. And the decision-making and decision process is way bigger than anyone can ever fathom, really. And once you start making good decisions, you make more good decisions. Yeah. When you make bad decisions, you make more bad decisions. And everything feeds off of everything, whether it be, uh, you know, your morning routine before blast-off, if, you know, if your truck breaks down on the way to the tournament, you know, it all feeds into that. It ain't just about catching the bass. You know, it's about keeping your head in the game. And I feel like I do a really good job of that, you know, especially during tournaments. You know, I more times than not, I don't got crap until, you know, the last hour and a half, two hours. And then, you know, I somehow run into something and bam, bam, bam. And we catch them at the end of the day. I don't ever give up, but. It, uh, you can definitely see some people where they do. They just – the wheels fall wow. off, and they're just done. They self-destruct. And there's no no reason for you to do that to yourself. You, know, yeah. you got 90 other people trying to do it to you. You, know, you don't <laughs> need to do it to yourself. What percentage of your decisions – and I think I know the answer to this, but what percentage of your decisions are pre-planned – on the while competing, I'm not talking about in pre-fish, but while competing, what percentage are pre-planned? Like I'm going to go to this start here, I'm going to go to this spot at one o'clock or whatever. And what percentage of them are just instinct? You start fishing and and you follow your instinct. Ten percent of plan. Only ten percent. Wow, I knew it would be 10%. low, but I ten percent is real low. And that's really and truly just uh, you know where I'm going to start most of the time. But a lot of times I don't even know where I'm going to start. 
And, you know, we'll be sitting there before blast off and, you know, the wind will be blowing, you know, a, a little bit further, you know, out of the northeast than it would the east. And, well, I think that bank would be better than where I was going to start. Or you're driving down the lake. Like, I mean, the wind is beating that point up. You know, you, you got to stop and fish it. And a, a lot of times whenever stuff like that happens is whenever you stumble onto some goodness. <laughs> and, and then after, after I fish my first spot, it's just kind of, you know, go with it. You know, unless it's like a, a bed fishing tournament. A bed fish tournament, I, I pretty yeah. much got mine planned out my, my whole day, really. Um, but, no, I just kind of roll with it. And I ain't scared to tie crap on and bring out new rods during the middle of the day. Change line, I don't care. You know, if there's if I'm, you know, fishing something and it looks like there would be something really good to throw a frog on and I don't have a frog rigged up, I'll sit down and rig it up. It might be for three casts, but. Yeah. It's gonna happen. It could because if I don't cast could turn into the rest of the day too if it works right. But if I don't, then whenever I go somewhere else and I'm doing something, I'm thinking about going. You know, I should have thrown a frog on that stuff. Yeah. Well, then I'm not 100 in doing what I'm doing. So, and that's like you know, if you ever sit somewhere fishing and you go, man, I I think I should probably go. I should fish down there or that thing. Ah, oh, no, I'm gonna catch a couple. Of, you need to go. You need to go wherever it is right then. Because if you're not, you, you've already lost your, your focus. Yeah. And, and I think just from watching it go down, the decision, you just ex- gave a prime example of the, the difference between an angler of the year season and a non-angler of the year season. When that per- and, and I've seen all different kinds of people win angler of the year and come so close. But generally, the dude who wins Angler of the Year is the person that that doesn't stop to it. It's just, I should fish down there, and they're going. The second they think of it, you know, it's not, it's not. well, I'll give 10 more casts here, and then I'll do this and do that. And they're not thinking that far ahead. It seems like they're almost more reactionary. Yeah, I, I agree. And a lot of, a lot of the, the good anglers that we've seen do that. Uh, and But, you know, there's also a special – occasions that then you have a guy like Kevin Van Dam that he literally had to plan out his whole day, you know, the latter part of his career, because, you know, he had to save stuff till the <laughs> final day, uh, had to manage the, the boats that were following him, which is something that I don't have to worry about, you know, but for him to be able to, to do what he did, you know, say the past five, 10 years that he fished on the elite series was, you know, kind of unbelievable the way he went through all that and, you know, dealt with how he could plan for other people's stupidity is, is beyond amazing. Yeah. He's I I don't think he gets enough credit for it, to be honest. Like I I really think you look at the 25 events he won at Bass. I bet you he could have won 35 and I'm, that's not even, that is not even an exaggeration. I'm telling you, if, if you watched it all go down, there's at least 10 tournaments where you're like, I'm an amazement that he's catching a bass. Never mind leading yeah. the tournament because I mean, it, it's gotten better over the years with life, but it, several years ago before life, I mean, it was nothing to have a hundred or 200 boats on the water and they'd follow him during pre-fish like mm-hmm. literally he would be followed the whole day during pre-fish so i mean what he did 
and is doing is amazing, you know, and and has been able to do because you're right. He's had to had to manage spots and manage areas um, just because of, of everything that goes down. And the thing, I guess, that blows me, he never gets rattled, never seen him on the water. Mm-hmm. Like even when things go wrong, it's just like, all right, we're not supposed to catch him there. We're going to go over yeah. here then. It's it's amazing. I'm going to give you three characteristics. Um, one is knowledge, and that's the knowledge of the body of the water you're fishing. You know, your knowledge of, of how to compete there. Two is technical. Your ability to, you know, get that jig under the dock, that, you know, your ability to find the fish right, your ability to use electronics right. And number three is mental. And if that if those all add up to 100%, I want you to give me the importance and percentage of those in you as a competitor, you know, where do you rank those three? Knowledge? 20, 20, 20 60. So, so mental is 60. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just stop and think of what, what, what order I gave you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I said 20, 20% would be knowledge, um, you know, because it, it still is what it is. No matter what you've been there before or, you know, found online, it's still Mother Nature, still the weekend. Yeah. It's all going to change. Um, being able to skip your jig better than somebody else, eh. being able to read, I mean, everybody on the elite series can read their electronics. It's yeah. not like it was back in the day, you know, where, you know, a couple, a handful of people could read side imaging. No, everybody can do it now. Um, the live scope, you know, all, everybody's catching on with that. I think we got like a year, year or so left on, you know, making, making hay on that before everybody really gets into it. But, mentally is most of it i believe or maybe 25 25 and 50 yeah but it's it's still still the biggest the biggest part bar none well and i think it's also the only one that affects the others and you stop to think about it i mean you can be a mental mess or you can what i mean is if your mental mentality is bad it doesn't matter how much you know about the leg. Yeah. If your mentality is good, it doesn't matter how good you can skip that jig because you're so removed from it. It affects all the other pieces, I think, and that's what makes it so strong. Um, yeah, and if – so, like, you look at this year right here, Seth Fighter, uh, mentally, he, I mean, he was in it the whole time. And we had probably the most mentally strenuous year ever. That there was like two practices that you know you did what you found in practice in the tournament. Everything else was yeah. screwed. You know, we either had delays, rising water, falling water. You know, and it it didn't matter. It was always something. And you know, he he was mentally tough, and he he stomped a mud hole in us. When you first joined the elite series. Your goal was just to fish for a living. I mean, I, I just want to I want to be a pro angler. Has that changed? I mean, I think you've accomplished that in the first three years. So, I I mean, yeah, it. Um, you know, I there's a I have a lot of goals. Um, you know, obviously, I want to win an elite series event. I want to win AOI. I want to win the classic. Um, I'd also like to one day be in the Hall of Fame. You know there's a lot of things that I would, that I would like to do. I, I'd like to be at the million dollar mark by year 10. Um, 
you know, there's, there's a, there's a lot of goals that I've, that I've set that, um, I feel like, you know, are, are not out of reach at all. Um, you know, some are easier than others, but like every year we go into the elite series. If you ask me what my goals were for that year to win AOI, to win two elite series tournaments and to win the classic. If that ever happens, you know, if I ever do all that in one year, then I'll probably go in the hall of fame. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you have to set the goals like that to where, you know, they're, you always got to keep, keep going. And then, you know, say I do win the classic. Well, I want to win back to back classics. You know, and if you win back to back, I want to be three P, you know, it's always got, you got to keep changing them. You can't just ever be satisfied. And I don't, I don't know anybody that ever is satisfied. Um, there might be a, a handful of people, but I mean, if you, you look at any, anybody that's, you know, uh, right. a, a, a winner, um, like a Christie, uh, every one of them, he, he, I mean, yeah, it's good. Just like the other one, but the next one's going to be better. Yeah. You know, and, and then the one after that's going to be even better. It's, you know, you gotta, you gotta keep going. He wants the classic win really bad. You know, he, and he's been very close a couple of times and, you know, if you ever became complacent, I think you'd get lapped by the field. Yeah. And I think what you said is true in every walk of life. I mean, I don't care if you remove elite series pros and make it a real estate agent. Yeah. The best real estate agents, they could sell the biggest houses. And as soon as they sell it, they're like, okay, where's the next one? Where yeah, exactly. I'm going to sell another one. And it, I don't, I think that whole thought of being satisfied is the most successful people I know are never satisfied. I mean, yeah. that, that, that quench, that thirst to, to do better has to continue to burn in you. I would imagine. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, until all those goals are met, you know, I'll keep those goals, but once those are met, then I'll just make new ones. Um, and we'll just keep, keep doing it. And I, honestly, one goal that I set and one, one goal that I kind of thought I would reach, you know, within my first three years was winning the dang big fish for a tournament. <laughs> I used to, I used to catch big fish in a lot of tournaments around the house and, you know, multi-day tournaments, you know, but I ain't even come close. You know, if I catch a eight pounder at St. John's, John Cruz catches an 11, you know, any, any time like that. But I, I thought that that would be, you know, something that I, I could do. But as I said, I've changed the way I fish and the way I practice. So I could see why it hasn't happened like that. Yeah. No, I'd say it's working pretty good for you. And, and I don't think anybody questions whether your time will come or not. I mean, the first three years in the elite series, I don't think you've never been out of the top 20 in angler of the year. And I think two of those three years you were in the top 10, correct? Correct. There's a ton of people who would switch in a heartbeat with you. Would you, if I could make this happen, if I was a genie in a bottle, would you switch with somebody like a Brian new? And I'm not talking lives. I'm not, I'm, don't, I'm, I'm talking just <laughs> like when you, does it frustrate you to see somebody like Brian new just show up and toast first tournament hits a, an elite series victory? No, not, not really. Um, you know, cause it, I mean, Brian New's obviously a good fisherman. If you're there, you're a good fisherman. You know, yeah. there's there's no 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 way around that. And the reason I didn't win wasn't because Brian New won. It was because I didn't make 
you know, the right adjustments and decisions. And I didn't catch the fish. It has nothing to do with, with Brian New. Um, no, I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade. What? I would like to, like to win one, but I would. Yeah. I wouldn't give up my first three years. No, I, I'd say you know most people. It's top tens in angler a year. Like honestly, look through people's resumes. Like really spend the time doing it. If you look at through people's resumes, and I don't care whose name it is. Top tens in Angler of the Year races are few and far between. You know what I mean? There is the very, very few that contended for it a lot. Um, other than that, I mean, it it just comes around every once in a while. And I'd say you've had a pretty good, good three years. And, and, and you know what? I mean, it'll give us something to talk about next time after you win a title, I guess. I don't know. This is- yeah, has got plenty of time. Yeah, you got to get to work. You got to set up that shop. Nothing. Is there yeah. anything set up in the shop at all? Mm, I got just the shop. A, a couple of those shelves, but those oh, actually yeah. the shelves aren't actually going to be there. That's all going to be a slat board uh, for the pegs and stuff, and then uh, that's going to be a, a moving pegboard. I'm gonna have two of those that I can move around. I still got to build a loft. Uh, I got an ice machine, refrigerator. Wow. You know, TV, all the good stuff. I've got a lot of work to do before I can do the uh, the the man cave thing. All right, the Bassmaster dream started five. When did the dream for this this little building start? Because I know every angler on earth is watching that, being like, "That's what I want one day." Um, it's been been a while, but it, it was never really needed until you know I I actually started doing this for a living and. Mm-hmm. I would, I'd love to have an even better one. And, and you could spend so much money on a man cave, on a shop. It's unbelievable. <laughs> like where I, what I thought I was going to spend, I have spent, you know, way more than, than I anticipated, but you know, I want to do it right. I want to, you know, have it how I want it. Um, and, and to be functional, we, we get so much stuff now and I, I carry so much stuff. And just to be efficient, packing and unpacking my truck and boat will yeah. will help tremendously. Because um, I had, stuff. yeah, I had a room in my house that was done. All the walls were pegboard, and I had, you know, all my shelves and stuff. And toting it in and out, you know, I would be in my boat in the garage, and then go inside, get something, and forget something, go back. You know, I just it was I was not very efficient. Um, and with how my tackle was organized, it wasn't, you know, as efficient as it needs to be. But, you know, it needs to be. I mean, we have stuff from – look at this, Merce. I have stuff that goes back to 45 forevers ago. This is a whole big five-gallon bag full of dumb worms. Can you see that? They have the hooks – Already in them. You oh, those are like Carolina Kelly's room? worms, aren't yeah. they? Are they called Kelly's worms? I don't know. Down here, they're called dumb worms dumb or do no worms. All the, all these, you know, were either citation or hand poured, and I mean, I've got thousands of those. But you know, you don't, as fishermen, I'm pretty sure that we're all kind of the same. Yeah. With uh, we don't ever divest of any tackle or any, 
you know, things like that. Um, so I don't get rid of anything. And, you know, I have boxes and boxes of, of crankbaits and stuff that are so situational that, <laughs> you know, but you can't get rid of them. And, you, and like going on the road, you have to take them because yeah. if, I ain't going to not have them whenever they're biting it, you know, and nobody's going to have something that I don't have. So, because you just don't ever know. All right. Well, next time we talk, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that shop all set up. And, and, and then I'll maybe come there. We'll do it live so I can steal some stuff. How does that sound? Sounds like a plan, Mersh. Go back in and change that baby's diaper. I'm sure it's, it's time. <laughs> Congratulations on everything. Um, you said you want to do that shop, right? I'd say you have been doing the Elite Series, right, in just your first three years. Well, I appreciate it, Mercer. And I will, uh, I guess I'll see you in about three weeks. Yeah. And there you have it, Drew Cook, catching babies. No, no, having babies, catching bass, and kicking, you know what. Um, I want to thank him for coming on here another week and another great story from an Elite Series Pro. And I hope to see you back here. One thing we didn't talk about with Drew, and I really meant to, was him and Drew Benton do an incredible series called The Cut Line. They do it on YouTube. I'll leave the information down below. They go behind the scenes and show everything about them putting together their Elite Series career. It's called The Cut Line. Definitely check it out. It'll be below in the comments. Doesn't Don't I sound like a freaking YouTuber? Uh, I'll leave the link below in the comments. See you next time. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to. You hear?